What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Howdy, folks. Please keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the train and remain seated at all times. Now then, hang on to them hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. Up to Neverland. Take a start of the right and stay until morning. Neverland. Take your pixie out of your pocket, Neverlanders. It is episode 90. Woo, we are 10 away from 100. But I don't know if I want to do a big celebration for episode 100 or wait till we hit our second year anniversary before I do something big. I think we should do something big for 100, then we'll find another way to maybe kick off uh, season 3 here because that's coming up very soon. Wow, very exciting. It's amazing. I've been doing this for that long. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of fun, though, we're going to have even today. We have some uh, ride audio brought to us by Lost Boy Retlaw, also known as Eric. Uh, he, of course, was at Friends of the Magic 2015, and he's brought some ride audio from Big Thunder Mountain, which is awesome. So you're going to enjoy that, I am sure. And then, of course, we do have an update for the Neverland Battle of the Disney Bands, which uh, I'm very excited about. This is going to be a very cool next uh, couple of weeks here. We're coming down to the end. And then also, of course, I have a panel with Sean Astin from the Kansas City Comic Con 2015. You, of course, will know Sean Astin from The Goonies and Rudy, uh, the old movie like Father Like Son with Kirk Cameron. Uh, that uh, <laughs> I don't know how many people remember it, but it was actually on, uh, on cable here recently. Uh, and then, of course, The Lord of the Rings playing Samwise Gamgee. Of course, y'all know him from that, right? Well... Uh, he's also done some work with Disney, and he's currently working with, uh, it's a series called Agent Oso or Oso. He's like this little teddy bear, and he goes and he helps kids out. So I'm sure those of you that are parents and also Disney fans, you're going to be familiar with that. The rest of us, uh, we know him currently doing some voice work on the Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He is currently the voice of Raphael. So we have all this great fun stuff coming up today, and... Before we get there, though, I do want to remind you to visit our website, NeverlandPodcast.com, and send us an email, podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter, NeverlandPCast. Find us on Facebook. There's both a like page and a group. And, of course, leave us a voicemail, 816-226-6492. And don't forget to visit the website and uh, see our Patreon link where you can help donate to the show and also find out how you can join the Neverlanders. Now, uh, I do have a couple of quick announcements also. Uh, I was attempting to switch over. I was going to start using Podbean uh, because it, it would reduce the cost, and actually they, they offer a little bit more data. But I really haven't liked their interface, and so I'm going to stay where I'm at with Libsyn. So if anybody has recently come to the show and you have subscribed through Podbean, uh, go through your regular aggregator that you get for your podcast or iTunes or whatever, 
and make sure you search us and find the Libsyn feed that I use and make sure you're switched over so you don't miss any of the episodes uh, because, you know, Podbean at the end of the month, I'm going to shut that down. I might be able to keep the website going and when I downgrade it, maybe I can link the files over. Uh, I'll play with it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I haven't really enjoyed that uh, using Podbean so much. So maybe I'm just spoiled on Libsyn because Libsyn is pretty cool. But anyway, I am also looking for some writers or creators, artists, musicians. I want to have the news feed at NeverlandPodcast.com expanded. So if you like to watch Arrow, Flash, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Once Upon a Time, uh, the upcoming Supergirl, uh, you you enjoy writing and you would like to write reviews of those television shows, uh, send me an email. Uh, I do have Rick Myers, uh, Lost Boy Tricky Ricky. Uh, He already is going to contribute and wants to write reviews for some of these shows, but I don't want to put the burden completely on him. So if anyone else would be interested in doing that, let me know. Also, uh, if you go and you would like to gather some news uh, about anything with Disney Parks or our typical geekery or like Pixar, Marvel, that kind of thing, and you'd like to be able to uh, contribute that way and write some articles for the, the website, let me know. I want to expand the news feed and have a lot more stuff, and I don't have time to write as much as I would like on there, so I thought some of you would actually like to uh, share things with the other Neverlanders. And speaking of sharing, uh, if you've created some fan art and you would like to share it, uh, then we can post that and we can put that on the website as well. I will let you completely post your own things. I will help you out with uh, WordPress to make sure that people can look at your art, but they can't download it. That way, if you would like to still be able to sell it somewhere like a DeviantArt or something like that, wherever you host uh, your stuff, or if you have your own website, you can still link over to that site and sell your prints that way. But it'd be just fun to be able to share it with everyone else. Same goes for if you happen to like to sing and you do recordings and you do covers of Disney songs and you would like to be able to every once in a while go onto the Neverland page and share something you've worked on, that would be awesome. Heck, cosplayers, anyone who is interested, uh, just send me an email and we'll get you set up as a contributor to the website and just do some regular things, uh, you know, once a week or so or something like that. I think it would be great. I want to build this as kind of a community thing and let us be able to share things with each other there on the website. I thought that would be fun. Uh, so, yeah, as no one's going to be getting paid. You know, we're not like a big media outlet, but uh, I thought it would be enjoyable for anyone who likes to write. Give them an opportunity to write, and I'll give you something to write about. Uh, so, yeah, send us an email, and we will get that rolling right away. And we've already started. I have an article that uh, Rick has already sent us in. And uh, if you look at the author, I even put him in as Lost Boy Tricky Ricky. Uh, because what I would also like to do is we'll make you an official Lost Boy and Pixie if you're not already. And we'll use that as your name on the website. So, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with this idea. And so I figured everybody else would enjoy it as well. Also... For any of you that are listeners of the Disney Indiana podcast with Scott and Tracy, they've been here at Neverland quite a few times. Uh, Perhaps you've heard lately we have the Neverland karaoke cantina going on over there. Uh, If you would like to sing a a song, a Disney song, and have it on their show to be a guest at at the cantina... What I need you to do is record yourself singing the song. Now, you can play the Disney song you're wanting to sing in your in, in some headphones so you can hear it. And then you sing along to the vocal and then send me the vocal track. I will add that, you know, with the music in there. You only need to do like a, like a voice, uh, a verse and a chorus. 
and I will use that over on Disney Indiana, and I'll submit that to them, and you can be the guest, and you can sing whatever Disney song in karaoke. Now, you, you don't have to be serious about it. You can, you know, have some fun with it. You know, if, if you're a really good singer and you want to, you know, it gives me the opportunity to sing for everybody, that's great. But if also like, well, I'm not a great singer, but I, I just think it sounds like fun, that's fine. If you want to go and even have your kids sing something, you know, whatever you want to do, have some fun with it. But yeah, send that to me and I will... Uh, you know, tool it up and make it like you sound like you're inside this big room and everything and send it over to Disney Indiana and it'll appear on their podcast. Uh, so definitely make sure you're listening to their show for everything we do. So far, I have sung a song and here actually this week, a Wampa came in to sing Small World. Lots of fun. So definitely go check out their show because it's a great show anyway. And then I'm contributing a little part to it that I thought would be a fun idea. And I want to open that up to all of you in case you didn't know it was happening uh, for you to be able to submit some songs to me. So yeah, lots of fun things going on, but uh, I think we need to have some more fun right now. Okay, well, we've got something really kind of cool this week. All right, y'all know Lost Boy Retlaw, as we call him Lost Boy Eric around here, went to Friends of the Magic and gave us a great trip report last week, but uh, he recorded some ride audio as well. So uh, what are you going to share with us this week, Eric? Yeah, I had a great time at, at Friends of the Magic, and, and I hope that that came through in my trip report last week. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned that we did is, yeah, we went on Big Thunder Mountain. Now, some of you might know a couple of years ago, Big Thunder Mountain was closed for about, well, a 13-month period, which really hurt me because I love Big Thunder Mountain. Every chance I have to go on to Disneyland, I really am hoping that Big Thunder Mountain is open, that the line's going to be short, and that we can get on. Well, this particular day, we were able to get fast passes early enough in the day so that uh, we could, you know, Again, when, as I mentioned in my trip report, I like going in the morning because there's nobody there and you can get on rides real fast. Well, we got our fast passes. Uh, my son and I were going through the line, and who should we run across but Gary Chambers of the Mouse Lounge podcast. On this particular ride through, I had my seven-year-old son with me. You're going to hear him a few times through here um, exclaiming his joy and uh, his, just how much he really likes going on this. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy it. I hope that you get a chance to ride it yourselves anytime you go out to Disneyland or Disney World. You might know Disney World is almost the exact same ride, except it's a mirror image of the one at Disneyland. There's one section that's a little bit longer than uh, what they have at Disneyland. But anyhow, enjoy.
for just a moment, but please remain seated with your hands and arms inside the train. You'll be moving along in just a moment. Yeehaw! Now then, hang on to them hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. There's a frightened, trembling man His body's weak and feeble And his skin has lost its tan When I asked him for a ticket He turned and shook his head He grabbed me by the shoulder And this is what he said Before you get on board this train There's something you should know When I finish with this tale You might not want to go I listened with amazement At what he said was true And now, my friend, the time has come To tell this tale to you Hear the legend of Thunder Mountain If you eat a pot and stay away From the Thunder Mountain Railroad Thunder Mountain Railroad on the way He said his legend has it on one foggy night in June The train and crew pulled out as well beneath the darkened moon The boiler full of water and the tinder full of coal The whistle screamed a warning as the wheels began to roll King Bronco with a cougar on its back The train began to run away down miles and miles of track What happened to the crew that night no one has ever learned The train pulled in all by itself The men did not return Hear the legend of Thunder Mountain If you eat a pot and stay away Thunder continues to unfold The stories of its danger continue to be told Of avalanches, rattlesnakes, and earthquakes in the night And voices of that phantom crew that chill your blood with So please forgive me, mister, if I'm standing in your way But before you buy your ticket, there's one thing I have to say Hear the legend of Thunder Mountain If we could to stay away Disney music fans, the time has come. It's the Neverland Battle of the Disney Bands. Your vote will determine this year's top five Disney songs. Vote now at poll.neverlandpodcast.com. That's P-O-L-L dot neverlandpodcast.com. 
and listen to the Neverland Podcast to see which Disney band rises above the competition. Okay, here is what's going on with the final round of the Neverland Battle of the Disney Bands. It is a free-for-all. If you go to poll.neverlandpodcast.com, every single member of every single band is all together in one category, and you can vote for every single one of them if you want to. Everything's up for grabs, okay? And you can vote, of course, every five minutes. It'll reset. So... Basically, we're going to determine by the number of votes that each member gets of what band they're a part of. This will be a huge point rally for all the bands to see who's going to be our top band. Also, the individual scores will be calculated in with the rest of the scores going on to determine the top five Disney songs or Disney band members for the 2015 Neverland Battle of the Disney Bands. And I do plan on announcing this on our first show in September, all of the winners. And I'm going to ask Scott and Tracy from Disney Indiana to join me once again. Uh, Their picks so far have been really top contenders in this competition. But this is it. It's the final round. This is your last chance to make sure your song that made it into the list gets all the support it needs so share this with everybody make sure you're voting tell your friends to vote have a lot of fun with it the results are coming in this has been a great summer event and we're wrapping it all up so make sure you get out there and vote ladies and gentlemen sean astin Focus on whatever I wanted to focus on, going to college, you know, I had kids, 
that kind of thing. And, and uh, it just seems like whenever there's a slow period, because it's a job, you know, it's a job. From, from in this setting, we talk about the emotional impact that the work has on all of us, um, which is which is the sub is the product. That emotional feeling is the product that we're creating. But from my side of things, you know, I got to feed my wife and kids, and we've got a mortgage, and we've got all this kind of stuff. So you, and there are times when you know things are slower. I've been lucky and blessed, and also hardworking and disciplined enough that. What I need to really drive at, at my career, it, it seems to respond. So, um, and what you end up with is an international movie database page that just seems to go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also really lucky because I mean, a lot of people don't have that kind of fortune to have jobs come along when they need them and be able to get in there. No, I'm saying I'll go make them. I'll go find them. I'll hunt them now when I needed to in those moments. And when you're talking to, uh, raise your hand if. Um, going into acting or voiceovers or the entertainment field is something that's been of interest to you. Wow. Yeah, so that's who I'm talking to. <laughs> I'm talking to you guys, that sometimes you can go and make your, make your own fortune in the world. And it's all more from a lot of actors. They're saying, you know, don't wait for the project to come along, but you have to go and create it yourself. Rob yeah. Michael was here in the spring at Kansas City Film and he was saying exactly that. Yeah, and it's in a way, it's easier now than it ever has been. But there is a certain skill set which is uncomfortable to a lot of people that is kind of required if you're going to take advantage of the new technology that's available to you. Um, in voiceover, well, in voiceover acting, for example, everyone with a cell phone can record. A high enough quality uh, audio audition in this room. I mean, I, I did one in the hotel room last night for a Disney show. It's on my on my uh, my computer. It's in my computer. Yeah, on the on my computer. So, but how do you get your? First of all, you have to know things. You have to know that you can't or shouldn't send something that's too low. Because yeah. no one's going to listen to it. Even if you're, I don't know, one of the best voiceover recording artists in the world, they're not going to listen to more than a few seconds. Maybe they'll listen to a scene or a piece of a scene. Maybe if they're, you know, there's those who will listen to a couple of scenes. But we're talking about maximum a minute. How are you going to get your minute audio file listened to at the right moment by the right person? Well, it's possible. But you have to be clever in how you research who's casting what or what people are in the casting space, casting directors, directors. And I'm focusing on animation right now because I do a lot of animation these days. But um, executives, that kind of thing, like directors, whatever. You know, there's, there are incredible resource guides available. I don't know what they are, but I know they're there. I see actors using them all the time. I don't, I don't have to, I'm lucky. I have an agent that does all that for me. But I've seen young people, I've seen, you know, my, my colleagues on shows, they, they just know that, there are, that they can go and they can scroll through a list of things that are shooting. They can go to studios who do animated things. They can see what's being made. And then they can try and figure out, you know, who's casting those shows that they like. They can then try and send a general thing. 
there, there's if you're clever and you're hardworking and you're disciplined and you uh, and you, you are committed to learning both from a administrative point of view, meaning like it used to be you'd go into a you know, you'd show up at a casting director's office and be told, well, sorry, they're not having any appointments now. Well, I'll sit in the outer office, you know, for three days until I can get two seconds of that person's opinion. You know, and then the casting director's walking out and they see you and you shake hands and, you know, and then maybe that gets you an opportunity. And, well, it's not like that now. Now it's, you know, it's a mouse click. It's a button. You just ping, you send it. And if they hear what they want to hear, and, and by the way, your intentions... To a practical extent, it can matter to you, and they mean everything for what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. But just because you're a good person, just because you're passionate, just because you have talent, those things are kind of like everybody's got that. You're not going to get like extra credit points from people. What they want is they need in their moment to hear what they need to hear, what they want to hear at the moment they need to hear it. Those, that's what the decision makers are doing. So, emails to say, you know, hi, here's 10 seconds, love for you to listen to it. If there's any thoughts you have, love to hear it. You know? Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Nice and easy. Make it easy. Find some way. You know, I heard what you did. I saw that you put this person, this person, this person in that show. Well, inspired casting choice. I just wanted to be on your radar. Here's 10 seconds of, you know, here's 30 seconds. If you have any comments or feedback, love to hear it. You might hear nothing back. But you might. The person might think, wow, you just complimented something I'm really proud of. The fact that I was able to help assemble that cast for that show. Thanks very much. Okay, I'll listen to it. And you do it. They might think it stinks. And so maybe they don't respond back. Or maybe they go, hey, you know, thanks so much for sending it. Uh, you know, good luck with developing your you know, developing your skills, which means go back to class. You know, I auditioned for probably 200 um, animated voiceover things over the course of my career and didn't get one. The only reason I was lucky enough to be, you know, I was working professionally as an actor. I was a quote-unquote name actor. Um, so it was easy. It was, a, it was a defensible submission for an agent. Well, we're going to submit Sean Astin's 30 seconds to you. Oh, Sean Astin, right, I love Rudy. Okay, and they'll listen to it. Yeah, no, it's not what we're listening for. Okay, so why wasn't I getting it? Well, I couldn't hear myself the way they were hearing me. I would, you know, it would say, you know, he's, he's climbing up a hill and he sees a sunset and uh, he looks to his partner and says, wow, look at the, look at the mountain across the way. You know, and I would do it, and I would think, I was really feeling seeing that mountain across the way. I really was emotionally in touch with that. It didn't sound like that to them, or it didn't sound like, it didn't fit in the world that, that they were casting, and the kinds of sounds they were having it would be, you know, a very realistic portrayal, but it doesn't fit with the other guy going, yeah, well, we're going to go to the other thing. You know, like, my honest thing doesn't. So uh, it took until I did Lord of the Rings, when um, we did voice training for six weeks before we started shooting, where we had, first of all, two of the best dialect coaches out there, Andrew, Cart uh, Andrew Jack and Roisin Carty. Um, Andrew Jack was a Royal Shakespeare Company player and, and uh, instructor, and then and Roisin was a, was a dialect, or a, yeah, uh, what do you call 
No, she was. A, she came from. A, she was like a forensic. I can't remember the name of her job, but basically, they grabbed her from Waking Dead Divine, and they said, "You know, you're an expert in these sounds, and we've got these actors who don't want to sound like that." And so she sort of backed into a career as a dialect coach. And by the time we got to do Lord of the Rings, she was in the full swing of her new profession. But so we got the full weight of these two people for an hour a day, five days a week for six weeks, where we'd go into these little pods, these little the kinds of offices that uh, construction people have on a work site, those little mobile office squares or rectangles. We'd go in there, and they had pictures up on the wall of like a cross section of a mouth and throat and diaphragm and the teeth and the lips and the gums. And we would sit there like we were in a dentist's office talking about the mechanics of your mouth and how you actually make sounds and how you change sounds and your breathing and like all these great things. Now we were, you know, we're experts in our field. We've been cast in a $300 million, you know, one of great movie trilogies of all time. So, we're, you know, we've got game. We don't really know the, the intricacies of this particular thing. And then they had designed Middle Earth, the sounds for Middle Earth. What are, what are, the, what are the guttural orc sounds? How do the dwarves sound? What are the, what's the Hobbit thing? Okay, well, they hired a, Mancun, a guy from Manchester, a Scottish guy, me and Elijah, to play the kind of four main Hobbits. How are you going to get them to sound like they're from this myth, mythological place, Middle Earth? Well, you know, for, for the audition, I was told, you have to have a flawless British accent. My agent, Nikki Mirish, called, Honey, they're doing the Lord, uh, New Lines, doing the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, Peter Jackson, it's wonderful. You have to have a flawless British accent by Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so the word trilogy meant it was big. I never even heard of the Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> pastor? My brother is. Your brother's a long pastor. line of them. Yeah. Oh, nine. Long line, oh, great long grandfather, line. grandfather, yeah. And you have just totally let down the family. <laughs> oh material. man, that's terrible. I'm going to text him. He's <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Uh, we were talking about faith-based movies, and, and uh, but anyhow, the um, which in a weird way, what are the next kind of is? As yes, is, it um, is. Carnival's Narnia, not with us, yes, Lewis. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. but. Um, <laughs> That Tolkien would burst into flame. <laughs> but um, so so, what was I talking about? Where was I? Dialect coaching. Dialect coaching, yeah. something like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So anyhow, so I have for my audition, right? Okay, so so the audition was. Um, I, I told my wife, I was like, I have to have a British accent, and I'm I'm clever, I'm fun, I love to do accents and things and have fun, but they, she said the phrase, my agent, my William Morris, which is the oldest talent agency in Hollywood, one of the big three, they call them, uh, my William Morris agent instructed me, working class journeyman actor, that I must have a flawless British accent by Tuesday. Well, I'm a professional. If my mother gave me anything, it was uh, the, the ethos of professionalism. Hit your mark. You see, you know your line of dialogue. You show up one time. You're better for the off, ca off camera for the other actors than you are for yourself. So it's selflessness, um, the, all these things that you that you learn, you know, as a, in the craft of the trade. And my mother, in you know, two weeks when I was seven years old, 
burned it into me. So now I've been instructed. So I said to my wife, you know, I got, I, I need to, you know, I need to do this. So she looked up a dialect coach who is a, uh, I think it's Larry Moss. I think it's Larry Moss. Um, I don't, I don't want to say he's promiscuous, but he's certainly a well-known, well-publicized person doing that job in, you know, always taking out ads in the, the trades, Hollywood Reporter and the Daily Variety. And so she tracked him down. Next thing you know, in our little office that we had, I'm sitting there with this guy who is well-known in, in town as teaching dialects, and he's teaching me RP, standard RP, received pronunciation. Hello there, I'm British, how are you? C-3PO. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, and then, and then maybe a little cockney. Hello, Gaff. Little cockney. How you doing? How you doing, mate? Uh, so sorry. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so, so uh, he did it, and I went in and did the audition. I think I was pretty good at that. Well, that was absolutely not right for Samwise Gamgee. Like, I'm so grateful that they weren't listening. I, they were, they were looking at my talent. They're like, he, he gets the tone, he gets the gravity of the character, he's willing to do the work to get the accent, obviously he can do it, so we'll, you know, you, you hire an actor, you sort of know, well, we'll teach him the sword fighting skills, we'll teach him the whatever, and they just knew that they would teach me the dialect skills that I needed to play. So, I, and, and that was good. So we get out there, um, for me, because you actually, you kind of have your cheese hanging out there a little bit when you do it, you know. <laughs> There's no stakes for me to accidentally do the wrong thing here, but if you show up in front of a, you know, there are certain things that everybody knows about. Most things now, most careers, you can have a whole life of really good, solid work, and most people never know about it. There's only a few things that are on everybody's radar at the same time. Lord of the Rings is on everybody's radar. So if you go in and blow it in that setting, you, you know, it's a... Uh, Gonna make a George Brett comment, but it's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He was on the I flew with him actually. We were on the same flight together. It <laughs> was the Rudy of errors. <laughs> um, anyhow, so we were there and they decided um, Andrew Jack and Roshin Cardi, the dialect coaches, had had crafted Middle Earth, the sound of sounds of Middle Earth. For me, they wanted him to be a farmer, a West Country, West Country farmer. Some West Country. He's, he's from, you know, what do they call it? Like, uh, he's sort of Welsh almost. And they, they played this this hook for me, this one sentence that whenever we were shooting, I would say the sentence before we do the tape, and it would put me back in the dialect of the character. And it was a recording from an actual farmer saying, "That's a nice shiny apple." <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I always tell is that Roisin, there's one night we were filming the Buckleberry Ferry sequence where the hobbits are running from Bree, through Bree, from Bree, at Bree, to Bree. To Bree. Remember to Bree? To yeah. Bree. When, yeah. when the big when the black rat, to Bree or not to yeah. Bree, that is the question. Whether there's no Bree or the hobbit to Bree. So there's a black fighter, and he's chasing us, and uh, my line of dialogue is G-E-T-D-O-W-N. Exclamation point. And I'm yelling that to Frodo and the other hobbits. You know, um, get down. That's how it's supposed to sound. 
And Roisin came up to me after one take, and she said, oh, Sean, she was Irish, Irish. Said, Sean, that one went a little bit, get down! <laughs> <laughs> I want to be in a Western someday. <laughs> so, so anyhow, the point is that uh, I started, when I got back from Lord of the Rings, to get jobs as a voiceover actor. Because when the auditions would come, first of all, I was even more you know, famous or well-known or on the tips of people's tongues because Lord of the Rings was really popular. But also, when I would send something in, I, I, could, I could tell what they wanted. I could hear myself, sometimes, the way they heard me. So if you're just starting out, you know, all the great intentions, all of the, you know, the knowledge that you can do lots of voices and your friends have always said, hey, you should really get into the voice or acting business. You, you should do that. You can do Mickey Mouse. You can, you know, oh, uh, but I think, anyhow, sorry, I love the best. <laughs> Pretty good, right? <laughs> how about, how about, who? Oh, Christopher Robin. I'm actually not mad. Um, so, anyhow, the, uh, I have these off-color jokes with those voices. <laughs> so, um, anyhow, the, it's, it sometimes some people are just so perfect and they get lucky. Luck is important. It does take a little bit of luck. Do, people used to always wish me luck and I didn't like that they said that because it meant that there was a chance that, I would, that it wasn't in my control. And to me, I had the sense of manifest destiny that I'm going to go out and make this happen and failure is not an option. But failure it is an option, it can, it can happen. So um, you don't want your entire consciousness and your entire sense of self wrapped around um, the need for other people to validate it because they might not. And, the, and it's an interesting uh, tension because when you really do have a sense of your own self, that it doesn't matter whether or not you get validation from other people, that's usually when the validation comes. It's like falling in love. Like if you're looking for it, you don't find it. And then when you're, you don't, it, it finds you. So anyhow, I would just say that I really do believe that it's easier now than ever before for people who have nothing to do it. Because you can do it right here from Kansas City. You can you can send in an email as well as anybody else. Heck, there's some great uh, voiceover artists who live in Kansas City and they do their professional work from their home in their little booth. So, and uh, so, you know, your cell phone, you know, if you sit in Starbucks with your laptop and, a, and headphones on, you can actually accomplish a lot. So, but you, yeah, yeah. So is, it, so is the voiceover work, is that kind of what led you into doing the Vox Populi? Vox Populi? Um, Vox Populi means voice of the people. No, I had always been interested in politics, thank you for asking. Um, and I decided that... Um, in the, in the emerging podcast, you know, generation, is it generation? <laughs> the kind of galactic podcast universe that we're living in, whatever it's called, um, that I, I wanted to, I wanted to wade in and do that. I've been involved in political campaigns, always outspoken about my thoughts and feelings about things and, you know, in, in philanthropy and politics and volunteerism and stuff like that. So uh, I raised, I did a Kickstarter campaign and raised I think it was like $33,000. Actually, I did it I did it um, first just kind of on my own dime for a year in our season. Did like 35, 36 episodes. And people seemed to like it. And there was, I wasn't in that many advertising. Um, but then I raised that money for the second season to hire a producer who could take, you know, shoulder some of the workload. 
of putting on a show because it's really hard to kind of put on a show. Um, and I've got, you know, I'm an actor and I'm doing things and an athlete and family and all this kind of other stuff. And, uh, and so that's, that's what that was. And we finished the second season and I didn't want to keep going because even with a producer, it was still too hard to do it and I didn't have the stomach to go out and raise more money for that particular show. So it's, there's always a possibility it could, it could come back. If you want to, uh, if you go to SeanAston.com, in the top right corner, there's a little flag that says Vox Populi, and you can click on it, it'll take you to the website, and you can listen to, I think we did, I think we did 25 episodes the second season, so there's, what's that, 56, 59, like that, episodes, yeah, you can listen to them. And the whole premise behind the show was um, to reinforce the importance of civil discourse. That, um, you know, there's, there's a time and a place to stand on a box on a street corner, and yell at the top of your lungs your point of view um, and to try and persuade people. But my thing was there's also a place, a space where we should be able to learn and not just learn in a didactic way, not just learn in a way that you would in a school setting, but to you know, pilot test some of your ideas and your thoughts in a safe space and not be attacked for it. And, and, and so we, we, I would bring people with different viewpoints in on every topic, you know, abortion, gun control, immigration, all of them, and we'd invite people, you know, and we'd have experts come in, and we had a lot of uh, politicians, had lots of, uh, a couple of governors, and a bunch of congressional representatives, and, you know, authors, and it was like, I would put on, a, put on what I think for like very, very, very little money, a, a pretty good show, and um, so I was, I was part of that, and I'm an ex, I think I'm an expert, self, Proclaimed expert, and I think respected by the people who liked the show for being um, really deft at helping people see the other guy's point of view. That's, and that's a skill. It's a skill. It's a, it's a gift. It's a nurtured skill. My father. It came directly from my father. Um, and when he got to, when my, he and my mom got divorced, it was he could be sort of in the crucible watching it in action. Um, and and it. it one of the first things you do is you should not impugn the intentions of the other person. If the person that you're talking to is a bad person, somebody who wants to injure you or injure other people, and who isn't looking for a good faith solution to a problem, then you can't be in that conversation with that person. Or you can identify that and then you can kind of go in that direction. But 99.9% .9 of the people that we interact with on a daily basis or in that kind of setting aren't trolls. They're people who have a point of view, whether it's fully formed or not, whether it's fully informed or not. Um, if you don't impugn their intentions, you really listen to what's being said and ask questions that are designed to really understand uh, what the full weight and measure of their opinion is and what the limitations of their their, their kind of fundamental knowledge is, you, you don't insult them. You know, you, and then if you do it in, in the kind of setting that we had, and you have you know a very conservative person listening to a liberal talk about it, and they have to be patient because they're a guest on my show, and, and they have to wait for a long time, then when it's their turn to express their opinion, this person over here, if they aren't patient and listen, they look like a jerk. So the next thing you know is like, oh, we have an environment where people are listening to each other, and they're they're sort of the expectation is for consideration. And uh, I actually, you know, well, I was going to talk about current political environment, but yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about the current political environment. I don't know. Maybe I'll wait if there's a question. But but anyhow, so that's um, that's Vox Populi. Very proud of it. Voice of the people. Very cool.
Yeah, questions. That's what we should have gone sooner than that. And just so we know, if we get to the end, if I guess if we raise hands, that'll be easier. But um, yeah, okay. I always do a speed round if there's people who've been waiting in line and they're like, sorry, it's done. I go, no, 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 I want everybody to ask a question. But what if we do it this way? Um, you don't know, you can just shout it out. I'll repeat the question. All right. Yeah. Uh, your movie, the movie that just came out August 4th, Do You Believe? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, how hard was that to play that role? What do You Believe? You okay, so Do You Believe is the third of four faith-based films that I've done. Uh, do You Believe came out in August. Uh, the question was, was it hard to do? The character... Um, I, I don't think the character was necessary. It, it, it's not expressed in the movie whether or not that character is an atheist or whether he's, uh, or, or whether he's um, uh, just a non-believer. He's an arrogant guy who, um, you know, he's a, sir, a, a doctor uh, and he, he, he doesn't have a lot of respect for other people. You, you kind of get that impression of listening to him disparage people he hears in the restaurant talking about Christianity. Um, but he, uh, but I liked playing that character. I particularly liked playing that character. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it in the context of a Christian film, because the Christian film space is how a lot of people in the movie business refer to it. is an emerging, it's a growth market. Um, for me, as a journeyman working class actor, I make an evaluation, and I've played axe murderers, literally an axe murderer, like a, a guy who was sort of in a cannibalistic cult. You know, I, like, I, I, it's, I don't mind. I'm an actor. I have to make an evaluation whether or not I think the piece is ultimately going to be have a positive or negative impact on the world around me and whether or not I'm comfortable with that. So, you know, the horror genre, I think, is an interesting, legitimate genre that, that has some value to it in some ways and can be destructive in other ways. And the two kind of horror films I did, I felt good about it. All four Christian films that I've done, I feel great about them. Um, one of the things I know in the Christian film space is that in the past few years, there's such a, um, what's the word? I don't know if parochial is the right word, it's probably not. There's kind of an insular echo chamber quality that some of the films have where the, it's not clear who the audience is, or if it is clear who the audience is, it's to other people of faith. It's not necessarily beyond that. And I think sometimes the films don't have as much impact as they can because they don't represent other points of view. Or if they do represent other points of view, they're in, they're in kind of one-dimensional uh, fashion. So my character is very short. I only worked on it for like two or three days. and. Um, and he is a little bit one-dimensional in the sense that he's sort of there to represent a, a shade, a color, a tone a little bit. And it's of a non-believer. That's what he is. I don't even know if he's atheist. He's a non-believer. And, uh, and I, think, I thought it was good for that movie. Uh, that character was good for that movie. Because and it, they don't, it doesn't try and wrap it up in a neat bow at the end of it. He doesn't all of a sudden become a believer at the end of it. And, uh, and I think that's... But he does have a moment of consideration of what he saw in front of him with Bosworth. He sees the guy who he had declared dead alive. He wants to send out for, you know, testing. But he just kind of, he, he says, it's not a miracle. I don't know what it is, but it's not a miracle. But then you see him just kind of like, he's been affected by what he's seen. I think that's a good communication.
I'm a really big fan of Bigger Than This Guy. Me too, it's one of my favorites I've ever done. It's one of the reasons I'm into acting now, so thank you for making that movie. Yeah. I was wondering if you had any fun behind the scenes stories from that movie. I loved making that movie. Um, this is a movie that satirizes community theater in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I got to play Ken Zorbell, who was a pompous actor. You know, well, when I did my puck, I thumped it, you know, like that kind of thing. And my mom was in it. She played two characters like she did in the 60s with her TV show. And, um, we had good fun. I mean, the, the, the movie depicts actors having a jocular time away from their thing. So you, you, it, there was that kind of feeling, how can you do that without, how can you depict that without feeling some sense of like maybe we're supposed to be having fun too? It was right during a political campaign, presidential campaign, and uh, it came right through Portland. So I was, I kind of like jumped on that bandwagon with the, with the presidential campaign. It was, it was definitely like a manic time for me personally. Um, fascinating, and I, I just loved it. I just loved everything about that movie. I def it's called Bigger Than the Sky. I definitely recommend. Yeah. Thank you. Good. We'll see you on a stage or set somewhere. As a poli sci major, you really piqued my interest. Are you a Bernie Sanders supporter? Am I a Bernie Sanders supporter? I am having a blast watching that guy do his thing. Um, and I, I must say that I think he's he's um, he's grown with his own movement. I got a sense that he'd be some crotchety old guy who, once he got the Ron Paul treatment, because Ron Paul, like in the, in the 2008 campaign, Ron Paul was as popular as Obama or McCain. On the, when you, if you traveled around the country and you, and you were looking for visible signs, like actual physical street signs, or the no, people who would show up at forums where more than multiple candidates were, it was like, it was the Ron Paul show most of the time because they were virulent supporters. It, so, uh, so, and I feel when Bernie Sanders started, you're like, okay, he's going to get the Ron Paul treatment. And, and, uh, but I, I thought he would be too um, out of touch with sort of the way that national politics works or, you know, I just, I just had, a, I think I was, I didn't disparage him in my mind. I just think I had uh, a uh, kind of... Uh, judgment, maybe a little judgment about it. And listening to how he's responded and watching his, that like 1200, uh, whatever, the, 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 the town hall meeting that were spread through 1200 different things and listening to how he talked about it, I was like, oh man, this guy's gonna, this guy's gonna ride it. I, I predict that um, it will, I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter and I have been since 1991 when I met her in person. Um, I watched the Republican debates the other night. I thought I was highly, I thought they were fantastic, both the debates. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, I really enjoyed watching them, and, and I usually, as a as a Democrat, um, I usually like I usually have a really hard time watching Republican debates. Um, <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was great. I felt like I learned something, and, and what I really want as an American is to see a high quality ideas exchange. Uh, and I actually think that there's a chance for that to happen right now. Um, and I think the, the way the field is operating on the Republican side and the way Bernie is sort of goosing the Democratic side, I actually think it's, it can be, it's going to be a fun time to be an American while we're watching this. Uh, that's how I'm honestly feeling. Sean, we're into our lightning round. Lightning round, okay. Okay, go ahead. I'm not going to answer, well, I might answer quick or I'll just take the question in and we'll see if I get to it at the end. Ready, go. Hi, uh, 
Um, thanks for your advice. I'm also starting forging my career as a entertainer, designer, whatever. Um, uh, I have. Uh, what is like the most challenging or difficult thing you've ever done? And during those challenging or difficult times, what is it that keeps you going? One of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life, I'm in the process of doing right now, and that is October 10th. I am competing in the uh, World Championship Ironman Triathlon in Kona, Hawaii. Wow. I'm 44 years old now, and I, my body, like, I get really skinny and really fat, really skinny and really fat. And right now, it's, it's really hard to put your body, my body back into a great space. I've been training for months and months, and it is what keeps me going. I have, first of all, I'm married for 23 years. I have three daughters. Thank you. My daughter, Allie, is starting Harvard in three weeks. My two little ones, uh, Elizabeth and Bella, 13 and 10. Um, I think I think the best leadership uh, quality that anyone can have, or or strategy, is to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And I think I am setting for myself, for my family, and for you or anybody else who cares to notice for a minute that uh, I'm setting an example. And I feel like my life narrative matters. And I think everybody's life narrative matters. But for me, my own skin, my own soul, uh, I feel like, like I have a purpose. And, that's, and it's to create value and, pop, and, and joy and reflection and a lot of things for people. That's the, the based on how our media culture works and how we as a society express ourselves lot through film and television and drama and music and stuff. So I, I feel like I'm in a, in a, you know, I have a mission, a sense of mission and purpose, and my life is important. And so the, when it hurts, when I'm training and it hurts, there's no quit. I'm very much rooted. There's no fail. There's no upset points. Particularly in Kona, where you're, where you're going, you know, 112 miles on a bicycle, 26 miles on foot across a volcanic you know, the landscape, I'm and, uh, and I just I just feel like there's just no quit. You just have to do it. And it's because my life matters and I wanna I wanna lead by example and I wanna um, challenge myself and um, I I have this sense that I'm where I'm meant to be and I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah. I had a question about the Goonies 2. Is there any update on whether or not that's No update. Goonies 2, <laughs> Goonies 2 will happen someday, somewhere, somehow. Hopefully, all any of our original Goonies are still alive, too. <laughs> 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 no, no what was your favorite part of filming the original Goonies? Corey Feldman and I had uh, decided we were going to put together our take on the movie and see if we could help the process along. So we were we were unsuccessful in our bid, but we did. Uh, but th that's one little adjunct. What was your question? Uh, what was your favorite part? Favorite part from the Goonies? Kissing the girl. I just want to know what it's like working with Guillermo del Toro and working on a dark thing like the screen. Guillermo is, has such a great sense of humor. So you're, you can be depicting the total annihilation of a, of a civilization in a with a cataclysmic virus, and you still feel like you had a great day at the office. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. I just want to know if you enjoyed your role and your experiences on the Discworld series. That's my, I, people ask me what my favorite thing is, and I always say that I have a different answer every time. But two of the most frequent answers I give are Bigger Than the Sky and playing Two Flower in the Discworld series. And losing Terry Pratchett is one of the more painful losses I've, as an artist, experienced because that man, his gift to the world is just paramount. And it's just too soon. It's too soon to take that guy. It's just not fair. It makes me so mad. But I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved all the actors and I loved everything about it. Woohoo, Discworld. I'm just wondering if you have a preferred way to prepare your uh, potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now in my training mode, uh, yams. seem to be on the okay list with all the nutritionists and trainers and stuff. So um, any way that they come will be just fine with me. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, she's kind of shy, but um, she's a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings. Can can you tell me your name, young person? Telly. Say it again louder so I can really hear you. Telly. Telly? What a cool name. You know that's what British people say called television? <laughs> they say, I'm going to watch the telly. But I'm watching the telly right now. That's crazy. How old are you, telly? Eight. Eight? Eight? Raise your hand if you're over eight. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, I'm trying to get her to branch out to other movies like Goonies, but she's like, Dan, I don't really like this. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm working on Do you know what you do like? Like, when you're watching a movie, do you know the kind of movies you like to watch, or the kind of TV shows or games to play? Do you know what you like? Or are you open to other things, or you don't want to, or you, you have a generally closed feeling? I, I just kind of like, like to experience the movies sometimes, like... Just not once Dad wants you to watch. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter they will not watch anything by any that I want them to watch. Finally, there was a, there's a moment where I had Allie, my oldest one, she was watching uh, goofball comedies, you know, and, and uh, so I got her watching Fletch and Clue and, you know, and all those, uh, Top Secret, and, and, and then the little ones come in and they see it, and they want to watch more and more and more and more, so I, that was pretty good. I tricked them all into the Star Wars franchise. Woo! <laughs> every time I'm, they don't like violence. They don't want anything violent. If I have the news on... Literally, I have to like, it's like smoking a cigarette. I have to go into my little office to watch the news. Like, they, won't, they don't want anything that is negative around them. Um, unless it comes to them through the portal of a romantic comedy. <laughs> if a romantic comedy wanders into some sort of greater, you know, life drama, then they'll, they're, they're pot committed. But, but I got, basically, I, I queued it up to the uh, detention center scene with um, Princess Leia, when she was about to get the needle, you know, to the truth serum thing. And um, so, and there's just a thing for her where she's looking like this right when the door opens. I freeze framed it on there, and I waited for them to walk in. And they walked in, and I was looking at them. And they were like, "Who's that?" I was like, "Oh, you don't want to. Don't worry about that. It's Princess Leia, but you don't want to talk about princesses. It's fine. I'll wait till you guys leave." Well, what's she doing? 
<laughs> it's actually you won't like the scene. They're 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 gonna they're gonna put a shot in her and, and to get to tell the truth about them with her family. You don't want to know about it. Huh. You go, no, I want to know about it. I want to know. Well, do you want to see just like like just this scene, and then we don't have to because shooting happens. I know you guys don't like shooting. Okay, okay. So we play it, and the scene happens, and it's over. And I pause. I'm like, okay, you guys. No, no, no. They want to see what happens next. I have. <laughs> Elaborate sets during the filming of Lord of the Rings. You didn't say elaborate, I heard that. <laughs> you want to know about the sets that we were on? Is that right? On Lord of the Rings? There was a lot of rocks. <laughs> and pretend rocks. Big people would come in and they would spend three weeks painting rocks. Fake, they would, like paper mache almost rocks. And then when they were finished painting it on a drive, we would come in and, like, remember the scene where. Where Gollum tricks Frodo, he puts the Limbus bread on Sam's cloak, and then he says, Sam ate the last of the Limbus bread. Frodo is kind of out of it because the rain gets really mad, and he says, Go home, Sam, go home. Those were all on fake rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fake rocks, and, and um, in different places, they would build a fake rock, and we'd film it, and they'd say, oh, we're gonna go film something else. So we'd go to another city, and we'd film something else, and then they would have taken down the rocks, put them on trucks, brought the trucks to the new city, found a little space, and put them back together, and we'd go on it. So we're actually, in, you know, you'd see me here, and then you'd see him, and me and him, and you're actually going from this city to that city, this city, to that city, all on the same fake rocks. <laughs> Well, the coolest, the coolest thing was um, the, the being outside, getting in a helicopter, go to the top of a mountain, a volcano, and you look out, and 800 New Zealand Army people dressed up in orc armor, <laughs> walking around with chainmail on, chainmail, a heavy chain kind of thing, and uh, that was better than a set because it was real. <laughs> Yeah. I have a two-part question. Shoot. Do you love acting? Yes. And why? <laughs> so my acting teacher, a lot of people say that actors get paid to do make-believe, to make, to pretend. Pretend to be a hobbit. Pretend to be a whatever. My acting teacher said that it's the actor's job to tell the truth. So if, you, if Samwise is trying to help Frodo understand that there's good left in the world, that it's worth fighting for, you really want to believe that he's in pain, but he understands what good means, and when he says it's worth fighting for, that, he, that that's real. You want to be as real as possible. So she also said that Actors are an instrument through which the ideas of the playwright are communicated. So, as an actor, you stand still and you wait for an idea to come from someone and you try and help give that idea the right manifestation. You bring it to life, you bring their ideas to life. <laughs> <laughs> 
when it's over, and if all of you actors do that, and when it's over, maybe the audience, the reader, the viewer, maybe they've experienced something. They've laughed, they've cried, they've been they're thoughtful, they've been afraid. They, in Lord of the Rings, maybe they've considered what the idea of good and evil is. Those are big ideas. Are people bad? Are they really bad? Or do they just make mistakes? Is it pure evil? A movie like Lord of the Rings really helps you feel through that. And as an actor, one of the many actors, I've done my job interpreting the ideas the way they were given to me. And that's the best I can hope to do. And when you do it right, you feel like you've done something important. Okay. I have one last one. Okay. Uh, during the Lord of the Rings, did you get hurt? Oh, I got hurt all the time. <laughs> a big loom. You know what a loom is? It's a it's a big machine that helps you make clothes. It deals with fabrics. And the elves have this magic fabric that they use. And um, like humans can't tear it. And... Uh, one of the elves gives Sam a magic, uh, an elven rope. The rope is, like, if you tie it, it won't come untied unless you want it to, cool stuff. So, we had a big prop. It was actually set dressing. You know, 500 pound elven loom. But it was made on these delicate little points, like furniture. And I sat down, and it was outside. It was actually a set that was built in the woods. So it was both, to the other one we were talking to, it was both outside and inside. Really cool. The wind blew and it knocked it over and it hit me on the head and knocked me out. Aww. Vigo <laughs> Mortensen said, well, he must have been having impure thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I read, there's one in the, in the, ex, in the, uh, in the DVDs, extended version DVDs in the behind the scenes uh, features. The scene where Sam has, or Frodo has finally separated from the Fellowship at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, and he's going to take the ring by himself to Mordor. Sam comes running down, and he sees him in the canoe, and he runs out to him. And he says, Frodo says, I'm going on my own. And Sam says, I know you are, and I'm coming with you. And uh, he, he goes into the water, and he starts to drown, and Frodo comes back to save him. And he gets into the boat, and he's like, I made a promise, I'm coming with you, basically. So I go running into the water, and on the third take, my foot landed on glass. And a, a shard of glass tore right through my hobbit foot and cut right to my bone. Gross. <laughs> they cut my hobbit foot off, blood was everywhere. I got to go in a helicopter because they wanted to do stitches, and they took me to what I think was kind of an animal rescue shelter. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's, and we got hurt all the time, little little pains that you would get, but it was, Peter Jackson used to always say, pain is temporary, film is permanent. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did the Hobbit trilogy on digital, so. Oh. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Uh, lots of fun to have had this week, and of course, more fun to have next week. 
And as usual, I do remind you to keep that pixie in your pocket at all times. And by that, of course, that is that young at heart, good attitude that you need to have and keep with you to help you face most of life. And remember to share a little bit of that pixie dust with everyone that you meet as best as you can. And just try to make the world a little bit more like Neverland. But until we see you next week, God bless. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blueberry. We love to hear from you on Twitter.com slash NeverlandPcast and Facebook.com slash NeverlandPodcast. Leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492 and send email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. Join us next week and we'll once again go to Disney and beyond. The Neverland Podcast is copyright glue band productions and all original content belongs to the same. Other content is copyright of their respective creators and is used under Creative Commons license. <laughs>